So how how are you doing today? How's how's things? You know what? I got up this morning feeling pretty good. So uh, um, let the dogs out and make sure that they're and they may bark from time to time, and I apologize for that. But uh, you know, we're sitting here in the suburbs of Fort Worth, Texas, so um, it's hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. It's been cooking past couple of days. I'm sure it's much warmer in Texas than it is up here. Well, it might be comparable. It might be comparable. Um, how how is it in Fort Worth overall? How's like the temperature of the city? Oh man, you could go so many different ways with that, can't you? Well, um, literal and or figurative, yes. I know, right? Um, obviously, Texas in the summertime. You know, the the weathermen have it pretty easy. They just say it's hot and they're done. But <laughs> you're thinking about other types of climate. I think we're we're starting to realize um, Texas as a whole, realizing that coming into the pandemic, I think we were um, we were doing pretty good. Then we had a governor who was a little bit concerned about the economic impact, so decided to really open the state up before uh, it should have been. And now I think we're experiencing some of the effects of that. We've had record cases of COVID across the state, especially in hotspots like Houston, San Antonio. And although I think we're starting to level out, I think that we have a little bit more time to ponder if we need to scale things back a bit. And I think that would probably be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Me personally, I feel it was a very telling decision to sort of make the responses to COVID more state thing rather than it being a, an organized federal thing. Absolutely. Um, and I think we are seeing the effects of that now not not to disparage any states in particular it's just i feel like if it's if it was a federal thing i feel like every state would have to follow a certain threshold and i think making it a state issue means some people can i don't want to say cut corners but some people can sort of feel that they're on the faster track than say other states would be I am definitely on board with what you're saying. I'm not, in general, I'm not a federalist. I prefer states to have powers. I think that's what was in the framing of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. However, in cases of pandemic where you have such a emergency national-wide, you know, kind of event happening, I think it's all altogether appropriate for the federal government to take a little bit of charge to standardize things kind of across the nation. Uh, I think the Trump administration started to do that a little bit whenever they introduced the 14-day plan way back in, what was it, March? But then they kind of let things go and let each governor handle their own stuff. And you can see the wide variations from state to state, people shutting down borders, people imposing different levels of um, quarantine uh, per state. And I'm not saying that 
any of them were inappropriate or not. I'm not, I'm not one to judge there, but in my line of work, in my profession, one thing that we value highly is a standard operating procedure. And I think something like that could have given a little bit more stability to the country as a whole. That way we know what everyone, you know, where everyone is at and we're on the same page. So we could be a little bit more unified. Now it just kind of feels a little bit fractured. And I think that causes some unnecessary division, you know, across the populace. Agreed. And I guess the, the funny thing to me is that I know that if we had done it the federal way, there'd be certain people in states who'd be upset like, well, you know, just because, you know, things are bad in New York doesn't mean it's bad here. Why do we have to be as tightly buttoned up as they are because we're not as, you know, um, contagious as they are? This isn't fair. Like, you, you know that the, that would have come out in the media at some point. Oh, I'm sure. And I'm sure Michigan would have still happened, even if we'd done things at a federal level. Exactly. Um, all the rioting and the insane now. I just saw a thing about COVID parties where people are getting together intentionally without masks and without uh, distancing so they can kind of rebel against the system. So I don't think anything would have um, satisfied everyone completely. Uh, right. That's a little bit short sighted. No, nobody could have done that. But I think maybe we could have lessened the change of the narrative. If you remember back at the beginning, we were talking about flattening the curve, quote unquote, mm -hmm. in order to not overrun our healthcare professionals. And that narrative has changed into now stopping COVID. Here's the problem. You can't stop it. It's a disease. It doesn't currently have a cure. I know they have things in the works and some medicines and drugs that they think are effective, but you can't stop it. So why did we? Why did the narrative change from slow down the infection rate to stopping, which is impossible, right? So uh, that's a hard one, but I think we've got to... Uh, take, everybody's got to take a little bit of personal responsibility. Unfortunately, not everyone is going to do that. Um, I just heard yesterday or the, maybe the last week, Walmart decided to go to a 100% all stores. You have to wear a mask in order to get into Walmart, no matter where you are. Yeah. And I think it's responsible things like that. I don't care to debate the efficacy of wearing a mask. Uh, what I do care is that People look out for each other and come at each other with a genuine sense of uh, not only personal well-being, but uh, community well-being. And I think uh, things like that would really help truly flatten the curve in a way that is going to be meaningful. I agree. I agree. And with that, we're going to uh, get started <laughs> with today's uh, interview. Nobody sun could shine this way nobody ever showed me how the night could turn to day i never knew that someone like you could open my eyes i'd realize the world is bright the sky is blue 
I never cared much for moonlit skies. I never winked back at fireflies. But now that the stars are in your eyes, I'm beginning to see the light. The light. Um, awesome. We could we could stay talking about you know oh, yes. current events for an hour or two, but yes, we're here for a specific purpose. If maybe if we finish early, we may get back into it. Who knows? Sure. Um, but yes, today's episode, I'd like to welcome everybody here to the From Where I Sit podcast. It is I, your illustrious host, Christopher Carter, talking to you on a hot Wednesday, July twenty second. Um, I am here today with Ed Howard. He is a. Actually, you no. Know I'll let you tell everyone what it is you do, Ed. Hi, Christopher. I'm glad to be here. My name is Ed Howard. I am a member of the Barbershop Harmony Society. Um, we are a group who um, is worldwide. We promote and preserve the art of barbershop acapella singing. Um, I'm in a barbershop quartet. I help direct a barbershop chorus, and I'm a budding arranger and songwriter. Okay. So how did you get into the barbershop quartet? Is it, is, is it a, a hobby for you? Is it something that you want to make a career? Like how did you, how were you introduced into this whole thing? Yeah, it's a kind of a long road story, but um, suffice it to say my family has been in music for generations, um, primarily church music. And so I think along with most people, uh, I think everybody's been exposed to barbershop harmony in some form or another, maybe not to a great extent, but probably a little bit in kind of the general Americana. But um, I really didn't get super involved in barbershop until 2000, 2006. My brother-in-law was in a barbershop quartet and he knew that I was a singer and uh, we formed a quartet together. And that was, that was really fun. We um, really enjoyed the sound of barbershop and, um, uh, and some of the, some of the cool things you can do with it. And so that's kind of where it started and I've been with it ever since. Okay. Uh, what is your background in music? Um, you said you were your brother-in-law knew that you sang, so was it um, was it just church choir? Was it uh, did you go to school for uh, music? What about that? Yeah, all of the above. Um, I was in church choir, uh, choir in high school and college. I hold a bachelor's degree in music, and even though I don't do music as a vocation, barbershop has been my life's hobby uh, ever since I was introduced to it. So I tell people sometimes that barbershop is my justification for my school loan payments. Uh, <laughs> I, um, get, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Uh, but really I can't imagine my life without music in general, but barbershop in particular. And, you know, I enjoy all of the things I get to do with it because it's really you know, it's not just singing. There's there's a lot of things that that barbershop rep- represents for me. Okay, 
so you you mentioned that you formed a quartet in 06 um could you break down the quartet itself um obviously quartet means four for those that uh may not have heard the word in a while but what goes into each role in the quartet sure um you're right quartet is four and in a typical barbershop quartet you're going to have um four people singing four different parts the main part um, or the melody part we call the lead and basically you can kind of think of them as the front man in a band they're the part that's going to sing the uh, the part of the song that you recognize or what you would sing to with any song right mm-hmm. um, next you have the part that sits right above the lead called the tenor and usually this part sings Uh, just a little bit higher than the lead, harmonizing with the lead um, just a little bit higher. Then you have the bass part, which is the lowest part. And typically the bass will sing the lowest notes in the song and kind of give you uh, either sometimes they'll give you some rhythm or sometimes they'll give you, you know, just that foundation that the lead and the rest of the quartet can sing with. And then finally, you have the baritone. Uh, it's kind of a jack of all trades part. Uh, the baritone is, is difficult because they typically take the missing parts of chords that the other parts aren't singing. So very specialized part where you're kind of jumping all around and, uh, and having a lot of fun while you're doing it. Hmm. Okay. Um, so lead tenor, bass, and baritone. Uh, Which one of the four are you? In my career so far, I have sung in quartets at every part except bass. Um, I don't have all those low notes quite, but currently I sing with a quartet called Journeymen, and I sing the baritone part. Okay. Okay. When you're forming the quartet, do you have, I don't want to call it an audition, because it's it's probably more of a choice to i guess it's more of a choice of the people who are going to be in it but how do you determine who sings what part yeah it's a really good question and i would probably liken it to how any kind of band or or group would form you try to find like-minded individuals who want to do something fun and more more often than not, you're going to be finding other individuals who are into into the barbershop harmony society who like to um, go out and and sing together and have a lot of fun. Um, most people only sing one or maybe two parts, so you might be specifically looking for somebody who is a lead already who is who is doing that and kind of putting the pieces together. Um, you, maybe you're building it with a group of friends or you could be going through an audition process. There are, you know, quartets out there who who would go about it that way. So I think there's just a wide variety of ways you could go about it. But I, I think to me, the most important part of forming a quartet is the relationship. You want to make sure that 
if you're going to be spending time with these guys or girls, right, mm-hmm. in a in a mixed quartet, uh, that you um, you like each other, like spending time with each other, because you invariably you become good friends, and you know you're kind of forming a uh, a microcosm of a family. Yeah, because I guess you'd be checking in to find out how each of the members are doing. You know, if somebody has a sore throat, uh, you offer tips to help them get better, uh, stuff like that. Sure, but um, if you're meeting regularly, right, um, most quartets might, you know, might be meeting weekly. So they want to know, you know, how's your dog doing? How's work? It's it's usually not as black and white or cut and dry as, okay, let's meet, let's sing these two songs and let's leave. You're building a relationship with people. And that's really uh, not more important than the singing, but probably just as important as the singing as you're, you're, you're becoming part of someone else's life. And I think that's one of the things that, that, sets uh, barbershop harmony and acapella in general apart from other different arts. Um, but I think you, you could probably find the same thing if you were to talk to, you know, a band that was doing a lot of gigs They probably get together and do other stuff too. They're probably good friends or a theater group who is a part of a company who has done, you know, th- several different plays or musicals or whatever together they're probably checking in with each other on other stuff too. And so um, you, you tend to develop a, a friendship and, a, and cultivate kind of like a family unit. And of course, you're, you're kind of on the same roller coaster together because you depend upon each other. So if one of you is having a bad day, the other four kind of feel it. And, you know, if someone is having a success, you all kind of ride that wave too. Okay. With the barbershop quartet, must it always be a quartet? Or is that just the most common uh, grouping of singers? That's a difficult question in that it can really be anything. You can have a quartet of four. You can have a group of eight. You can have a whole chorus. Um, I'm the assistant director of a chorus, and we have... 25, 27 members. Um, so you can really sing barbershop in, you know, in, in any, any multiples that you really want. Um, I would say if you're looking just at quartetting, then yeah, you're probably going to have four, four folks. But um, I think you can find all kinds of different variations and styles. Okay. Are there alternates? Let's say you you guys have uh, a, a show or a, a performance and, you know, maybe the day of the show, there's an emergency of some sort, or maybe somebody came down with something. Do you have like a, a fifth guy uh, in the dugout, so to speak, who's, who's ready, a uh, guy or gal who's ready to step in and, and, you know, fill in that fourth person slot? Or is it just something where you're just like, oh, well, you know, we just can't perform today as a, as a quartet. That's a really good question. And it's something that um, our quartet journeyman has faced uh, in the past couple of years. Um, there was 
I think it was one or two years ago, I was able unable to make one of our contest performances. And we were lucky enough that um, one of the other baritones in our chorus knew the songs that the quartet was working on and was able to fill in. Um, but this isn't always the case because we each quartet probably has its own repertoire of songs that they learn and work on. And also each of the songs are probably interpreted a little bit differently by each quartet. Kind of like if you hear a cover of a really famous song, it's probably not exactly like the original. Kind of the same concept here. Each quartet, you may be singing the the same song, but you might each have a different interpretation on it. So trying to find a, a substitute usually is not a an instant type of deal. You may have to, if you're really looking for a substitute, you're probably going to have to cultivate and have actual practice and rehearsal with the substitute in order for that to, to work long-term in a quartet. Okay. So th- that means there may be people like when, if you're practicing in a certain space, there may be some others who are there who they may be taking notes and listening to how you guys do it. Uh, not necessarily in case something happens, but they're just there to observe and potentially learn how you guys do it. Yeah, that's probably, uh, it probably does happen. It would be definitely on a specific quartet by quartet basis. I don't think I've ever been in a quartet that does that specifically, but um, you could. Okay. I mean, I guess I'm just... I'm looking out for you guys just in case, you know, so <laughs> just absolutely. In, just in case you guys, you know, maybe it might be something you, you look to try to fold into the process going forward. It's like, okay guys, you know what? Maybe we might need uh, some alternates just in case, you know, just have some guys on deck. If something happens, uh, Christopher, you should come to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you, are you trying to uh, hint? That I could, uh, well, you know, I might have a shot. I don't know. I, hey, I, I, I think you do. All right. All right. Um, I have to, I'd have to uh, try out, see how my singing is, first and foremost. Uh, if, nice. If not, I can maybe I can just work in the uh, administrative side, just uh, come up with ideas. That's a good thing, too. Um, I'm, it's cool that you brought that up because I think that's a, a piece that's a little bit overlooked. Um, if you form a quartet, you've got to have a little bit of organization in the background. And usually one of the guys will probably, you know, kind of take charge or take lead, kind of organize the rehearsal. If you're smart, you're organizing your rehearsals, uh, planning out what you're going to be working on week to week or, or however often you meet. So yeah, there's always room for, for a guy who knows how to plan. Hmm. So you're saying that, um, you guys need agents or, um, Something oh, along def- those lines. Yeah, you could be our agent. That would be great. All right. Done. All right. We, we're we going to talk off air. Let's do it. I don't want people to know how much I'm going to be earning from becoming a, <laughs> an acapella agent, but yeah, we, we might have to talk. Um, so yes, on to my next question. How much practice are we talking about for, let's just say it's a, a performance. Um, how many songs would you normally perform? 
for set performance and then how much practice would that need so you know uh, i guess a rough estimate would be what three four songs or maybe you guys sing for a specific amount of time uh like half hour 45 minutes i, I don't know how that goes yeah so um depends on the venue right if you're just singing the star spangled banner for a major league baseball game hey man that's about a minute long and you have to learn one song and so just however long it takes you to learn that song. Usually I would say if your quartet is interested in doing gigs and stuff, you probably want to put together maybe like a little package that you work on consistently. So for example, Journeymen, we have a sing-out package that we developed and it has probably about anywhere between 12 and 15 songs Mm. because you got to think the songs are about um, two and a half, three minutes long, right? So you want to be able to have some flexibility that if somebody just wants 30 minutes of music, you have it. But what if they want 45 minutes or an hour? Mm. Um, then having some flexibility to put songs in there. Now, if you think about it, 12 to 15 songs, that's probably more songs that you would get on an average album, right? So... Um, it takes a lot of work to go in and because you're memorizing music, right? This isn't like choral singing, traditional choral singing where you have music in front of you. It's more like chamber music where you're actually learning your part, memorizing your part, and then polishing to, um, you know, to a really high standard. And you're wanting to be entertaining. You're wanting to make sure that whoever you're performing for is getting the full experience. So you're you're going to want to put some time into it. And I think that's going to vary from quartet to quartet. Um, but you know, for a quartet that we meets weekly, you're probably spending at least two hours in a rehearsal, and then you're taking notes and you're going home and working on the parts that you need to work on yourself. And then coming back and trying to raise that bar every week and you're working on, you know, a lot of songs. So, um, you know, it can be both challenging and rewarding. Hmm. I didn't. Well, see, I guess that's interesting to me is that I didn't think that post-practice they would send you home with like uh, notes to say, okay, you guys have to work on this uh, whilst you're away and then come back with it prepared i thought it would be i thought i guess in my head i assumed that it would just be everything would be worked out on premises as you're practicing i mean yeah you'd probably be singing those songs you'd be you'd have to do for the performance during the week i'm sure to sort of stay brushed up on it but i didn't think there would be work to do post practice i think that all comes down to your your level of commitment and how good you want the group to sound. And so let me put on my, my chorus director's hat for a moment. I would, you know, typically tell our chorus, I would, I would tell them that you come to rehearsal to hear what you sound like, but you go home and you, you practice at home. You know, the rehearsal is where you put everything together and see where you're at. It's a, it's a litmus test, if you will. Yeah, you can work on stuff while you're there and identify spots that you want to get better at. But if you really want to improve, 
you're going to go home and work on those spots because otherwise um, you may not be utilizing your time as, um, as efficiently as you could. Yeah, I see that. I see that. And there, you know, the other side of the coin is too, maybe you're, you're not as concerned about going to Carnegie Hall. Maybe you're just more concerned about getting together, having fun, kind of having a jam session, right, with the quartet Mm -hmm. or, you know, entertaining people without putting in so much effort. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Like I said, it kind of all has to do with your destination. Are you journeying to be the best? Are you journeying to just be really good entertainers? Um, What's the end goal? Why, Why are you a quartet? Why do you exist? And that can in, help inform a lot of things for you, whether or not you wanted to, you know, dedicate a bunch of time, hire a coach, um, go out and, and get private lessons, um, determine how much time you want to spend in a rehearsal, and a lot of things really, uh, even down to wardrobe decisions, uh, administration, and so. You really get a wide variety of not only types of quartets, but, you know, what you're going after and, and, you know, and what you're trying to do. So it's, it's, it's basically uh, on a quartet by quartet basis, what the end goal is going to be. Yeah. And I would say that's probably like step number one, right? You yourself personally, you decide, Hey, I want to do this. And then you find three other guys who are like, Hey, we want to do this too. And then my first piece of advice would be, okay, what do you want this to be? Plan it out a little bit and then go from there. Do you want it to be super serious? Do you want to go and compete and try to be the best? You know, are you trying to, um, you just need some guy time uh, and you want to get together with some friends and you want to create some good sounds, you know, as long as everybody is on board, then I think you're good to go. Yeah, you can't have any of those moments where, you know, uh, like some bands have had where, you know, one singer thinks they're too big for the group. There's a big, messy uh, public breakup and uh, a whole lot of feelings get hurt in the process. Well, I'd ho- Yeah, I think you'd want to try to avoid that. It doesn't mean it never happens. I think, again, you could draw really good parallels like you have to you know just any any musical endeavor any group any band you know you're going to have uh, what do they call it <laughs> uh, musical differences or creative differences yeah, they call that's it creative fine yeah. <laughs> yeah is there <laughs> I'm, I'm asking this facetiously uh, is there a newsletter or some sort of media outlet that has all of the hot acapella gossip of certain quartets uh breaking up reuniting uh stuff like that um or or no um so uh i don't think we have like a a barbershop in vogue magazine or anything like that but um i will say if you if you search hard enough on facebook i'm sure you can find some groups that have all of the drama uh Yes, yes, yes. A good old Facebook. Good old oh, Facebook. Yeah. Um, I wanted to stick with the practice. Where do you 
practice? Uh, what uh, do you have? Venues? Do you like rent out? Um, you know, like Knights of Columbus halls or um, places with? Do you check for good places with good acoustics, or do you just you know hang out? You know, somebody's garage and just jam there for two hours. And I'm I'm asking this as a pre-COVID question um, because I'm sure post-COVID things have changed. Absolutely, you're right there. But I would say you probably want to look for a place that is open and has some good resonance, some good sound to it, acoustics. And um, we practice at a church. It's got a family life center, so it's, it's kind of spacious and open, very forgiving. Um, it's very live sound, so we can get some reverberation and hear that. Um, but really, you could do it anywhere as long as you can hear each other. I think that's that's one of the most important things is being able to listen to each other and adjust as you're singing. But um, I try to find someplace that's kind of open and uh, will allow you to kind of get up and move around a little bit. And one last question about the practice. Do you guys get to do dress rehearsals? Gosh, I would say if you are concerned about um, wanting to sound good, then you're going to have a dress rehearsal. And um, I think, you know, journeymen, we do our best kind of to have dress rehearsals at every rehearsal. So we come at it from a philosophy that our rehearsals are more like, um, more like the performance themselves. We do, and again, like you said before, it's all pre-COVID, right? Mm -hmm. But at every rehearsal, we would set up somebody's iPhone and video the entire rehearsal. Mm. And so we have a historical recording of what we sounded like. We can go back and look at ourselves and see what we look like and take notes and get better over time. So we would use that rehearsal time really as performance time, take notes, go work on it, come back and hopefully set the bar higher for our next rehearsal. Okay. That that opens up a new set of questions for me now. That that opens up a new set of questions for me now. First one is how familiar if if you're doing recordings, are you just getting the audio from the phone or are you getting the audio from the actual microphones that you guys are singing or or are you just getting the sound from the room? So for us, we get it in a couple ways. We get the audio from the iPhone, which is okay, but not great. But I also have a Tascam field recorder that I use, and I'll usually set that up and record the entire process as well. And it has some really good built-in cardioid mics on it that um, you can adjust. Um, and if that's not good enough, if I need something really, really detailed, it also has inputs that I could set up with phantom power for, uh, for some condenser mics that I can set up to it and really get a good sound out of it. Okay. Cause I was, I was wondering how you evaluate yourselves based off of the inputs that you have. So I was wondering if you were, if you're getting it from just the iPhone, is the sound good enough Versus are you recording it with like a professional uh, recording device like a Tascam or a Zoom H4, H6 or whatever 
Um, right. Yeah, I think in general, like, especially if you're just starting out, you know, most people have an iPhone or something similar. I like iPhone for, um, for this purpose, but like iPhone sound is probably going to be okay. As you get better and better, you're probably going to want something a little bit more sophisticated. So I usually like, uh, with the Tascam, I like bringing out, I have a, actually I'm talking on it right now, a Rode, uh, NT1A. It's very inexpensive, but has a really nice warm sound that I can set up. Takes me five minutes to set it up. And then you get a really good quality recording in most quartets. Each quartet member is not going to have their own mic because what we, what we do is more about the blending of our sound. So we usually only need one microphone if we're recording anything. Um, and then we can use that and, you know, use whatever Google drive or Dropbox and send things out. Um, if I need to do any, any editing, or if I just want to cut it, you can use GarageBand or I use audacity free program, you know, um, and it's not, it doesn't have to be super sophisticated just to, you know, cut the recording into little bits and send it out. Yeah. I use audacity to, uh, edit my podcast. So I know, all about, Same. I know all about the, uh, the process there. Same here. Um, my next question then still applies to, pa- to practice. Um, but it also applies to your performances as well. Um, how is important is it to be expressive as you're singing? Like I, I've, I've noticed with the, some of the videos that I've seen, there's a lot more face acting. I, I don't know if that's the, uh, the acapella accurate term, but there's a lot more, you can see the expression of the singer a lot more so than with other forms of singing. Like, yeah, there, there are people that, you know, when slow songs are sung, you know, their, their faces are appropriate. No one's, there's no dissonance there. I'm just mean like, how important is it for performance purposes for the acapella group? I think it is very important. And I think you, you hit right on it appropriate. I think when you're talking about um, a lot of performing arts, one of the goals is being able to connect with your audience and have them feel what's actually happening. And I think, so in the Barbershop Harmony Society, I think um, people get a caricature of what a barbershop quartet is in their mind. Um, You can look at things like Family Guy, who has um, a couple episodes featuring barbershop quartets, The Simpsons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the B sharps. Um, but you think of this caricature of four guys in striped suits and straw hats, um, <laughs> kind of, kind of a campy picture of themselves. But really, what we promote is just singing honestly being the most authentic self you can and conveying the songs meeting meaning to your audience um, the best way that you can. Um, I like the term face acting. I don't know if that I've ever heard it put that way before, but I like it a lot 
because really we're not acrobats up there. So we're not doing cartwheels or anything. We're trying to be as expressive as we can. And uh, we all know it's, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. So how we convey loss or joy or sadness or, you know, being excited, a lot of that's going to have to come through your face. And I think that's probably one of the center hallmarks of barbershop and probably a lot of other acapella out there too is that type of expressiveness where we really want you to come on the journey with us. We really want to be able to make you feel happy when we're singing a a happy piece. So I think it's of the most important pieces of, uh, of the performance art as we're trying to do it. And it's also something I noticed because you guys don't have that much space. It's not like you're also, it's not that much choreography, I guess, especially for barbershop, considering you guys normally stand within a certain space of each other. Um, So I figured that the, the quote unquote face acting, as I call it, would have to be magnified to sort of get the point across. Yeah, kind of like if you're in a theater group and they kind of overdo your makeup, that way the people in the back can know you're wearing makeup at all. Right. right. It's the same, kind of the same difference. The paradigm shifts a little bit, but not much. You know, you're trying to be expressive enough that people all over your audience can know that you're being expressive uh, without adding a bunch of, I call it choreography. You know, we're not we're not necessarily like a show choir with a lot of uh, quote unquote moves. Um, although I think if you look back at um, some more classic barbershop in maybe the 50s or the 60s, you can see some of that. Uh, and especially with um, barbershop choruses, they will probably have some some choreography, some planned moves. But then you're talking about like a larger performing group, right? And and it's easier to to do that with with a larger group with, with a quartet. I think your main goal is just to be as genuine as possible and being relatable and approachable to your audience. And doing that is, you know, making yourself vulnerable and really focusing on making that connection. Okay. Okay. Another question I have uh, for the quartet or even a a chorus as well. Uh, Is uniformity amongst the singers a must? I think there's probably going to be a good deal of uniformity, but like it may not be with the same precision as like a robot, right? Because we're not. Um, But like... Um, I'll take wardrobe, for example. Maybe you're all wearing suits, but maybe your accent of red is different for every guy. Maybe one guy's like, and this is taken from journeyman. One guy is wearing a red hat. One guy is wearing a red tie. One guy's wearing a red flower. So like visually, uniformity is good, but it doesn't have to be exact. It's just like 
presenting something that is visually pleasing, something that obviously goes together, even even if it's not exact. Um, if you're talking about stylistically, um, if you're if the quartet is singing a song or part of a song that is trying to relay sadness, you know, you don't want the guy on the far left with a big, huge grin on his face. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so you do want a little bit of uniformity there. It's again, how, how every person's voice and face go together to, to, uh, to convey sadness might be a little bit different, but you definitely want to know that, that that's what they're trying to convey. Right. The same thing is like one concept that, um, you can, you can hear a, a lot about in, uh, barbershop quartetting is kind of the the focus of the quartet as they're singing to the audience and and what what could be more effective right are you going to have each member of the quartet looking at a uh, a disparate section of the audience or are you going to have the quartet kind of focused in on a common uh, place out in the audience so they look like they're more uniform so they look like they're like they're all performing to the same place and present that optic and i think you're probably going to choose the latter for the most part right right so i wanted to uh pivot to another question about the barbershop quartets how much travel do you guys and gals have in terms of performances like is this mostly local or are you going national or are we are we talking international so for us um journeymen in particular we're mostly local and i think probably a good majority of your quartets are going to be local um maybe traveling an hour or two maybe uh, within a specific range, but you know, if you are more highly sought after, you know, um, a quartet that's more widely known, you may be requested to, you know, go perform at a show across the country. And, you know, it, I think it offers some very unique experiences for those, uh, quartets across the country, around the globe, really, um, quartets performing, uh, in India, Japan, Europe, you know? Um, so I think the opportunities are definitely out there to travel as much as you want to. Um, but it's probably, probably a little bit more grounded into, um, you know, how, how well you perform, how well you're known, uh, among kind of the barbershop circles. And I think, um, those are probably the determining factors, but it, it can be, it can be whatever you want. You want to, you know, you want to be that group that, that, you know, has a gig every weekend. You can probably do that. You want to travel the country. Um, if you've got the, uh, the means to do so, you can probably do that too. What's the farthest that you've had to travel personally? You know, Texas is really big. So I could say, oh, just Texas. And, <laughs> uh, and I mean, people would be like, oh, well, that's not very far. But 
I live in North Texas and I've gone to places like Galveston and Houston. And that's not a, you know, that's not a big deal. Oklahoma City, um, Arkansas, uh, places like that. And, you know, very fun. I mean, that's, that's still distance. It's not, there's still, still time nece- time needed to travel to those places. That's kind of, it's, there's like a weird misconception about places because just because you say you were in the same state, people assume it's not a, a long distance or a nearby state. It's not a long distance, but it's, yep. it can be. My point exactly. Yeah, I, I think, you know, whenever we went to Arkansas, you know, we, we boarded a plane. So if you have to take a plane somewhere, that's a pretty good trip. Yeah, I would say so. Any, any, tr- any trip that involves you getting a pat down <laughs> means you're going a distance. Yeah. <laughs> so how has, uh, I don't want to say system, but the, the whole acapella situation, how has it changed now that COVID's in play? Like, how does that change the dynamic of how things are done? I think like a lot of different um, activities or industries, we've had to adapt hardcore to uh, to maintain any sense of um, like there. Uh, I want to say normalcy, but there really is no normal anymore. Um, you know, there were a lot of reports about singing being a a more dangerous activity now that. COVID has kind of come onto the scene and, you know, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, so I won't speak to that, but I will say that, you know, our chorus um, and quartet suspended art in uh, our live in-person rehearsals. um, And we've been in that state, you know, since March. So we've learned how to use zoom to get together and talk but if you want to talk technically, there aren't very many ways to do um, separate location rehearsal singing without um, without the term is called latency, but it's basically how long it takes for you to hear what I'm saying and for me to hear what you're saying simultaneously. And so, if I were to start singing right now and you were to start singing with me from what you hear out of your, um, your headset, they would not be in sync because the sound has to travel. Yeah. So find finding those technologies with, uh, no latency or very little latency. Although I think they exist. They're not very, consumer prevalent yet so we're having to find really creative ways to still sing together without actually singing together so um in the ios store um you can get a an app called the acapella maker app Hmm. and um it will let you record like a multi-track recording and you can record all the tracks separately and put them all together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way some people do it. Um, there's also another app called the Band Lab app, where um, like each person downloads it, 
one person sings and then shares like a project across and each person adds to the project and then you have like a finished result. And so, but those things aren't live, right? Those are apps that are making up for the latency issues because it's not live. It's you're really singing with a recording. So, you know, um, it's not perfect and there's like still a lot more adaptation, but, you know, I think it's an imperfect solution to, you know, kind of an imperfect uh, reality that we have right now. And, you know, we'll, we'll get along until we can meet back face to face again. Um, but just really got to think outside the box when you're trying to think about how do we keep these things going? Um, with our chorus, you know, one thing we developed was we use, we call them learning tracks, but um, basically what they are is it's a, um, another quartet has, you know, recorded and sung each one of the different parts on a separate, um, on a separate track. And then you can put them together and mix and match them to hear different parts at once. One, so one thing that we have done is we have taken learning tracks where let's say you're a lead um, mix a learning track of tenor baritone bass together and you play that sound over your computer and sing with it. Mm, okay. So it's like you're adding the missing part to it and we've been pretty successful. Zoom has a feature where you can have the uh, have Zoom play your computer audio so basically you can play that audio and sing with it to the rest of the members of the chorus. And so it's like you're it's like they're hearing you sing with a complete quartet, even though three of the parts are pre-recorded. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. I like uh, workarounds like that um, are pretty cool. But then um, it also stretches you to find other things to do besides the actual singing part to help you get better. Like maybe you want to get better at your music theory um, and there are resources out there for that. Or maybe you want to learn about being more expressive and you can find tons of information on the internet about how to help you be more expressive and things like that. So it's just working with what you got and trying to find uh, things that are going to be interesting to everybody and, and kind of going with that as a, temporary solution until we can you know actually get back together again yeah because i can see this is like a major hurdle preventing you from you know practicing in the venues that you normally practice in and even if you do you still have to wear a mask and i'm sure that would be an entirely different issue altogether because uh you can't project your voice isn't projecting the way you need it to so you can evaluate properly uh like it, it doesn't make sense to get together physically because then you'd have to distance yourselves and then that becomes a, a whole big issue so i mean i i wish you the best with um how that's going to go like i, I know you found these technical workarounds but like i think for something as personal as this i, f- I feel like the best way is still the four of the however many of you singing together is still the best option absolutely right and we really don't know right and we're kind of in a state of 
purgatory is not the word I should be using. I would say limbo. Yeah, yeah, a state of limbo, trying to figure out, like, um, right now we're trying to put together Christmas music. It is July, (laughs) and we're thinking about Christmas music because we really don't know. We've already had to cancel at least one show that we had planned, um, and now we're, we're moving on to Christmas in hopes that, you know, by early December, we might be able to uh, to put something together. But even that, most of the time between now and then, we're imagining we're still not going to be able to sing together. So um, is everybody taking the responsibility on their own to go out and practice that music and make sure that they're up to snuff? And having um, the sense of personal responsibility to, to do that. And... Uh, I hope so, but we also don't know if it's even going to come together. So, you know, thank you for um, for your sympathies there because I think it's a real issue. And I think, you know, we're definitely not niche in this problem. I think it's affecting probably every type of performing arts right now. Think of dancers trying to dance through Zoom together is is funny. But it's it's probably not highly entertaining for them, right. um, or you know, theater groups or even regular bands uh, like a rock band or something. They're probably experiencing a lot of the same issues. So, you know, it's it's. I think the arts in general is, um, you know, probably going through the same kind of troubles. Yeah, from what I've heard, they've taken a hit. I think here in New York, Broadway shut down for the rest of the year. Oh sure. So, so there's no like that that lane alone is is gone. Um also New York even though we have we're supposedly at we're we just went to phase 4 which is supposedly like the best phase so to speak. Um museums aren't open yet. So you people can't ingest their arts the way that they're used to. That's that's going to be a uh an interesting conversation down the road of what's going to happen to the arts overall. Because a lot of people are talking more about, you know, the economy. Uh, You know, we got to get the economy going. We got to get, you know, airplanes and transit and, you know, highways. You know, they got to get their toll money. You got to... There's a lot of revenue that has to be sort of stirred up. I get that. But a lot of the things like art are also sitting stagnant. And I'm sure there are people that are still creating even in this time where they may not be able to show it. People are working on their crafts um, and all of that. But will there be places for them to show their stuff? Will, will there be the same amount of spaces for them to be able to showcase what they've been working on? You know, that, that's a, a big concern going forward. I think one of the challenges is... I mean, thank goodness for Hamilton coming to Disney Plus, right? Yeah. We, we wouldn't have anything. But, and I say that in jest, but <laughs> I think uh, if we could take the challenge and turn it into an opportunity, I think that's going to be uh, what we, if we strive for that, I think we'll be okay. There's, um, I don't think there is, in my opinion, I don't think there is a, a normal to go back to. I think we're creating it as we go. And uh, so I think t- 
turning the challenge into, you know, find a way to do a, um, a visual art gallery, find a way to, to use Facebook live to get your music out there. Um, you know, think of the out of the box solutions to, to help you as a creator, you know, keep those creative juices flowing. I think we're seeing too, that, you know, you could be using this opportunity to, to challenge yourself to be more creative. Um, maybe you have more time now to dedicate towards uh, podcasting or barbershop or, you know, something like that, that maybe it was a hobby before that you weren't able to dedicate enough time to. Well, maybe now you have enough, uh, more time to do that. So um, get out there and, go create and, you know, just be entertaining and be you and be authentic and go find neat ways to, to continue to be out there. Even if we can't open up the museum, even if we can't open up the art gallery, even if we can't go to Broadway or Carnegie hall, you know, I, I, I think if we can do that, I think we're going to wind up in a, in a better place if we can kind of take that challenge and flip it on its head. I agree. I agree. I'm, and I'm sure we'll find a way. Cause I, I know that's how art finds a way anyway, you know, even if, even without there being access to museums, art can still be found. You know, there, there may be private studios, you know, graffiti is an art, People find ways to put their stuff in social media spaces and it takes off from there. So it's it's not like art will be walled off. It'll just be, it'll find its way down and, and out into the spaces that it needs to be seen in. Absolutely. And I think in general, people people go find what they want to find. So if somebody wants to find art, they're just maybe they have to look for it a little bit harder. But if, if they want to find it truly, they'll find it. Um, art uh, f- finds a way. Yeah, I uh, 100% agree. 100% agree. Um, I have another question for you. It involves, you mentioned that you were a director and arranger of acapella music. Yeah. Okay. What are the differences between directing, arranging, and singing? Like how, how do, when you're wearing those hats, do you sometimes get them mixed up is probably more my question. As, so like as a singer, are you the one in charge of directing your quartet or are you one of, or someone else the, the leader of your quartet? That's a really good question because... I think you can see a lot of skill transfer between the three. So uh, like, so in my quartet, so I'm the assistant director of my chorus, but the director of the chorus, also my brother-in-law is in my quartet and the tenor section leader is in the quartet. And so is the bass section leader. (laughs) So we have um, all of these leadership positions uh, from our chorus in the quartet so we're all kind of directing as it were trying to get better trying to like i said 
transfer the skill set, right? So when you're directing the chorus, yeah, you're looking for things to improve upon. You're looking for, you know, ways to help the chorus get better. But then you can do that for yourself as a singer, kind of self-coaching, right? Yourself to get better. Um, I think the interesting thing as a um, kind of a novice arranger that I am, you know, I can even see how coming up with different arrangements for uh, for the quartet or for whoever um, could be affected by, you know, who's going to be singing that song? Do they have that kind of range? Are there traps that I have built into this arrangement that I could have could have done differently so that the quartet or chorus might be more successful? And so learning about that and kind of developing that skill too, you might you might be kind of wearing all three hats at once if you let yourself. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty interesting way to look at it. Um, it might even be some sort of crazy Venn diagram of the activity that you're doing versus what skill set you're applying to that activity. Right. Yeah, because I was wondering if how that overlap works when you're, you know, I, I know obviously when you're doing the directing some of the other stuff may not overlap, but if you're singing and or arranging, you know, maybe some of those skills will overlap a little bit. Yeah. And I think they, you know, for me personally, I think they kind of overlap without me trying to think about it. Like they're a little bit more innate. Um, So whenever I hear, like if I hear a wrong note as a director, I'm thinking, Oh, well, is that a wrong note or did someone just make a mistake? And then we sing it through again and I hear the same mistake. Then I'm like, okay, now I know I need to stop and correct that mistake, right? As an arranger, I might be thinking in that same moment, is there a way to, is there, was there a better way to write the music that way that mistake might not have happened in the first place? Mm. And as a singer, I might also be thinking, what can I do as a singer to sing through this, this line without making that mistake? Is there something that will remind me that I need to sing this note differently for the future? Yeah. There's a lot to work through. (laughs) It is a lot to work through. Do you have any musical interests outside of acapella? I do. I, I also sing with a more traditional, a choral group called the Arlington Master Chorale. And uh, we sing a variety of stuff, but, you know, a lot of choral music, um, some sacred music, as well as secular. And it kind of varies all over. I am the director for our church choir. So that's also very fun. Um, I do some recording on my own. I like to do, so I record multi-tracks of mostly barbershop, but I do all of the parts myself and that's very fun to do as well. Hmm. So, um, got some varied background in other, other musical stuff. Um, when you mentioned Corral, uh, are you spelling it C-O-R-R-A-L or is this the C-H-O-R-A-L-E? The latter. Gotcha. It just when you you mentioned you're from Texas and you mentioned that you, 
Carouse House. Like, hmm, it could be a play on words. Just and, had to double check. Yeah, and we're all sitting on horses, and <laughs> we all have spurs and ten gallon hats. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> the part of me that loves English had to ask that question. It felt compelled. Uh, the OK Corral. I love it. Yeah. Any anything that involves. You know, homophones, homonyms, antonyms, synonyms, anything in that grouping, I kind of have to just double check. Yeah, explore it, man. Yeah. I have one, I guess, one final question for you involving Barbershop. How has it changed from the early times to now? Um, for me, I know that I'm very, I, you could say I'm like a super casual observer of it like i know what it is i was exposed to it you know through cartoons through more comedic elements like you mentioned with family guy and others um but i i saw it more so with looney tunes cartoons uh for comedic effect even now that i think about it there were also elements of it with the three stooges where they would sing mm. they would sing in like you know almost like a quartet fashion back in the days um how is it how has that style of music changed from then to now what what's what's new in the field that the average layman person wouldn't necessarily know i think you hit the nail on the head whenever the average person thinks of barbershop they think of that campy funny version of guys with mustaches right and um you know, although the roots of barbershop can be traced back to the late 1800s, you're talking about really early music, Tin Pan Alley, things like that. Um, it's evolved quite a bit since then. I mean, you can trace the some of the roots back to um, Southern Plantation days. You can see how... It, you know, it really gained popularity with the invention of the phonograph, right? The mass um, mass production of music and proliferation of music. And then kind of the first dramatic shift in, you know, kind of the barbershop style um, was when the um, Barbershop Harmony Society was created in the early 1900s and what they were really trying to do is kind of hit pause on the evolution of music because they were they were concerned by the 1920s music had moved on popular music anyway had moved on to jazz had moved on to big band things with uh, things with a, a better beat that you could dance to you know after world war 1 so you had these societies that popped up, clubs and things that really didn't want to go there. They wanted to they wanted to sing the music of their their kind of their forefathers if you will, because if you're thinking back from 1870s to 1920, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so they created these societies that really kind of kind of formalized what the style of barbershop was for them and and that kind of most of that has has stayed with us, but in the in the late 1800s, you had music that was telling a story is what a lot of the music did, and so they 
They really wanted to preserve a lot of that. They also um, liked the sound of um, particular chords. And so I'll get a little bit sciencey here, but I'll try to keep it brief. Is um, there is a particular chord that barbershoppers use called a dominant seventh. And all it means really is that whenever you sing this chord uh, really well or really in tune, you can hear more than just four voices when you sing this chord correctly. We call them overtones, and, but uh, it's, almost like when, it's almost like when the quartet sings together, it's almost like you can hear a fifth or a sixth voice singing with you even though that voice doesn't exist. And what's happening is that sound is built on sound waves, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the notes that the guys are singing together, uh, all of the sound waves are combining with each other to create new sound that is not actually being sung. And so it's a, it's a really unique experience hearing that. And when you, when you hear it, you're like, who's singing that really, really high note? And the answer is no one. It's because they're singing so well in tune that note is being created by the combination of their voices. Interesting. So they wanted to preserve a lot of that. Um, so they kind of turned what, what really was a very informal, um, but popular music movement and kind of turned it into kind of a fraternity and a club kind of setting. Right. And this is, you know, in the, in the early 1900s. And so that kind of is what morphed into why we, we kind of think of four white dudes in (laughs) striped, in striped vest and, and the, and the hats and, and the bow ties. Right. And, you know, that's kind of what it was for a long time. And so there's no, it's not like the way that we perceive it today is incorrect. It's just a little bit dated. I think now you'll find that barbershop is still about singing the popular music of the day. You know, you can go to, um, you can go and search the barbershop harmony society. You can go search their music and you can hear songs from Queen, or you can hear songs from The Greatest Showman, or you can hear songs from, you know, not just music that was popular in the in the 1880s, although you can still hear some of that if you want. But you can also hear songs from, you know, popular recording artists, um, Sam Smith, you know, people, people today. So I think, um, in my opinion the biggest shift between like a uh, classic barbershop um, of the, you know, even the 1880s through the 1920s, fifties. Uh, and today is that I think we're a lot more in line with modern acapella today. We, um, we really like that performance piece and bringing our emotions to the audience. Like we discussed earlier, I think we're a lot more cognizant now of being really good entertainers and we're a lot more cognizant of 
wanting to be familiar and approachable to the people of today. And I think the, the way that we arrange music has kind of moved along with that. And so you, you're hearing a lot more variety. I think you're hearing, um, you're hearing a lot more of really just expansion of what it means to sing barbershop. And so, um, that's really roundabout way of explaining your, your simple question, but, um, kind of, that's where it is. It sounds like, I mean, I guess from, from what I'm, what I heard is that it sounds like there was a period where instead of trying to stick with the trends, they decided barbershop decided to go exclusive almost, uh, in terms of, as you mentioned with clubs and, groups like that um and what they did was they i guess as you said hit pause and then they adapted to the fact that you know what people may not want to hear us sing in this at this particular cadence or this speed maybe we should start adapting some of what's popular with what we do and make something for the modern time and then they just kept that going for the duration. Yeah, I think you'll still find people who there it really gives them the most joy and the most energy to sing kind of the old songs. But I think you'll also find people who want to be, like I said, familiar and approachable to uh, listeners of today. We can still preserve the barbershop sound and sing music that was recently written. Um, it's just all in, all in how you do it and, and how you present it and, um, you know, how you, how successful you are at, at being entertaining and engaging. So I think you can, you can find something to kind of meet everybody's, um, musical taste. Um, if you, if you think about it, one of the hallmarks of barbershop, whenever it was kind of still forming, was adding a stylistic flavor to the music of the day. So that's what we're still doing. We're still taking music of the day and adding the barbershop style to it. You can find some really good examples. Um, Jimmy Fallon, right, of Hmm. The Tonight Show has a quartet. He actually usually sings with more than four. all the Buffalo gals. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really good example of another stylistic choice that you can take, but still singing, basically singing uh, barbershop styled music, but using music of today. Um, But you can go out. YouTube is a great resource. The barbershop harmony society does a lot um, of, um, a lot of work in getting videos of quartets and quartet uh, and choruses out there. Um, you can hear um, barbershop in, in a lot of different places. I actually, um, I co-host a podcast on Akaville.org called shop talk. And each week we do um, interviews and play a lot of barbershop music that you would hear. And, you know, it's it's something that, like I said, you can find um, something to fit everyone's taste. 
Yeah. Like you, like we mentioned before, people will find the art if there's a place. Exactly. If there's a place for it to be uh, displayed, and you have a place to display uh, what it is you have and what it is you like to listen to. That's it. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, um, Ed, it's been a pleasure. I think we've covered pretty much every angle of acapella of the barbershop quartet i think now that people have heard this episode they can then go out go forth with new information that they now know about barbershop quartets and acapella music and apply it to their lives as they see fit and uh they have you to thank for that well i'm so glad that you um allowed me to come on today i i really appreciate it i love spreading kind of barbershop with with anybody who will listen um because it's it's really not only is it unique but you can you can have a lot of fun with it and um i think whenever we are passionate about something you know it's kind of our job to go out there and tell other people about it you ask some really good questions and uh you know i just uh, appreciate the opportunity you're welcome i have a curiosity when I noticed that you wanted to talk and once you mentioned what it is that you wanted to talk about, I was immediately drawn to it because I, because of my reference to it. I know uh, it's not something that I personally listen to with great regularity, but I can recognize the talent involved, the work behind it, and it has had a, a place in my life in my formative years, I, you know, even if even if it was just used as maybe a comedic prop or a, a thing to make fun, it's still something that I'm like, OK, I, I understand it. So to hear someone that has that interest in that particular thing, I felt it was only right for me to talk to you about it. Well, I enjoyed the entire thing, man. I really did. No problem. No problem. Um, so before I let you go, um, can you tell the listeners where they can find you on the internet? Absolutely. Um, I think the best place to find me is probably Facebook. It's the social media of choice. You can find me at on Facebook. You can go to Shop Talk and uh, you can find our page there for um um, our, our barbershop podcast on Akaville.org. Um, or if you want to get with me directly, uh, you're more than welcome to, uh, shoot me, shoot me a question or a line. You can email me at ed.a.howard at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to, you know, field any questions or, or, or anything like that. And if they happen to have any questions about audio engineering, they can send those your way too, right? Absolutely. Just with a caveat that I am definitely not a professional audio engineer. I work mostly with Audacity and I do it for fun for myself. But anything that I can help with, I'm, I'm glad to donate my time. Okay. All right. You heard it here. Uh, so as we've heard today, we talked a lot about uh, barbershop quartets. We've talked about acapella. We've had Ed tell us everything that we need to know. I would like to wish you, the listeners, a good morning, afternoon, and evening. Have a good day overall. And we will talk to you another time. 
that your love Just beginning, beginning to see the see the light. I'm beginning to see the light, the light, light, light.